Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. So real quick, before we jump into the end of our Grow Night series, I want to let you know what's coming up next. So we're going to be doing a prayer series, and this prayer series is focused around this idea. Does prayer really work? Right? And conceptually, I think if you're like me, you have had times in your life where you prayed for things and it didn't come true. Anybody? Right? Like you earnestly believed and you did what people told you to do and you said the prayers in the way they told you to pray them. And then in our minds, it didn't work. And then what happens sometimes, because we really don't always understand how to respond to that, we have people come up and say, but God did answer your prayers, yes, no, or maybe. Okay, well, that doesn't always work when you're praying for something that you love, something that you want to change, something that the answer of, well, God did answer your prayer. You know, God always answers prayer. And when that prayer was no and you lost somebody you loved or that prayer was no and a relationship broke up or that prayer was no and things got rough in your life, understanding conceptually why we pray, what does it mean when prayer is working or not working, how do we communicate with God, how did we watch Jesus pray, and then how do we learn from them, I think it's important. Like, I think each one of us need to look at it, and I think we need to come openly with our, you know, discussions or questions about, you know, does prayer really work? How should I pray? And because this is what we do know by Scripture, prayer changes things. Right, And there have been people, unfortunately, inside of the church, because we, we've missed this, you know, and we've, we've asked for something and we didn't get it and we just stopped praying. Right? And we just, you know, but we want to teach you to be a church that prays expectantly. Right? Like we want to be a church that, that prays and we expect God to act. We expect God to change things and we need to be that type of a church and that type of a people. So, Come back with your friends, bring people. I think it'll be a great series as we learn to pray together and as we learn to trust God together and understand conceptually what it means to pray. All right, so we are at the last part of our Grow Night series. I want to give you an idea of, so why Grow Night and why did we do these teachings? So here's a little backstory into Life Church. So Life Church exists, or this is the thing that we think is the most vital thing that we will ever do. Get to know you, where you're at in your relationship with Christ, either don't have one yet, growing, maturing, whatever that looks like, know where you're at, and then help you take another step. That's what we, if we would judge success, right? If we would say we're doing things right, we would never judge success by numbers or money. We would judge success by do we know you or do we know each other and is our purpose to help each person not be stagnant but to move closer and closer to Jesus? All right, that, that's our mission. Now, here's one of the things that we know. Easier said than done, right? Easier said than done than walking that journey or being a part of that journey, not only organizationally as a church, but even for you personally, right? Because in our lives, this is what we know. So somebody gets up and you come to church and they're like, you need to be excited for Jesus and be a follower and be devoted and do your devotions. And if the Holy Spirit tells you to do, you should go. Like anything that he says, that's, that's what you should be doing. And we're all like, we walk out and it's yes. And then you go home and your marriage is broken. 
and you're not talking, you're not getting along, and things aren't going the way that they're supposed to go, or you're, you're, the, the love that you once had is missing, and all of a sudden, all that focus on Jesus tends to go where? I gotta fix my marriage, right? I gotta get to this place, and all of a sudden, not that you shouldn't fix your marriage, and not that you shouldn't work on those things, but we know that God works through togetherness or a team of people to be able to do ministry, and when you are not on the same page inside of your marriage, it's hard to do ministry. Is that kind of fair to say? I mean, you can do some ministry, but we could probably do it a lot better if we were on the same page. We know it's a barrier. Or how many of you people, so your older people are going to get this, but um, you go to church and you're super excited because you want God to use you, and then you go home and you have all of these little kids, and you're like, what in the world am I going to do? I don't have time to read my Bible. All I'm doing is wiping butts. Like anybody, like everybody go through that? Or when, you're, when your kids get older, like when we had eight kids in the house, I'm like, they should change the law and let people drive at 10 because all we are is taxis. You know what I mean? Like you got to get these kids everywhere. Anybody been that? Like you're the personal taxi to get everybody to where they need to go. And then you go to church and they're like, you should have some quiet time with God. I'm like, there ain't a quiet time, right? Because parenting's hard. Like parenting is difficult just to survive, let alone to raise your kids up to be followers of Jesus Christ and raise them up to be the men and women that God's called them to be. Like that, that's, you know, difficult and, and hard to do. Same concept, like we all come from different backgrounds. So we all come from either a church background, like you grew up in a church and you have a view, or we came from an unchurched background where we don't have a view, or we came from, I've been religious for a really long time, but we all bring views into the church, right? And here's the funny thing. Like, you might not think this is true, but this is really true. Sometimes what a church told you isn't true. Can you believe that? Right? Can you believe that you might have went to a church where a pastor told you something that it said in Scripture, but it really doesn't? Right? Like, this is what it is. Or a church tradition that a church tradition does, and you thought it was in Scripture, but it's really not in Scripture? Right? So, you know, we want to help you understand, like, you can take all of your church views and all of your church background, and we're all going to come from that, but we need to figure out, like, what are the foundations of Scripture so we can do what he calls us to do, not what the church has maybe skewed as an agenda to get what they want to get done, but really what God wants to do in our lives, right? That concept. We also know, which is what we're going to talk about today, right, is this idea of we have all the greatest intentions in the world to be followers of Jesus Christ, but money gets in the way. Nobody, <laughs> right? Like the idea of like, we got to have money to make this world go round and we want to do, and so did, did everybody have this? And we'll talk about it here in a lot, but it never seems like there's enough. Okay, a few of you. <laughs> I think this is an issue. So we created Grow Night for two reasons, right? Because the other thing that we know about barriers, the way to get over barriers is through relationship and doing it together, right? You cannot do the Christian walk alone. You got to do it together, right? So what could we do organizationally to help you take your next step? By offering an opportunity to help you in one of two ways. 
If you are trying to do this Christian life alone, you need to be in relationship. This is a time for you to get in a group and build a relationship. This is an opportunity for you to go and get to know other people, to be on a journey with other people. It's an opportunity for you, if these are some of the barriers in your life, to go and learn together with other people. Because in these classes that are discussion-driven, it's not that there's this teacher saying, this is how to do it. It's all of us saying, but we've been doing it this way, and we need to learn. And we, they're talking, you're learning from other people's experiences, right? Like that's how the classes go. So you could overcome those barriers. The other thing is, is this is what we know, right? This is the other reason that you should think about Grow Night. So a lot of you are out there saying, well... I don't have a problem in my marriage and I'm really good with my money and I know the Bible front and back. So I don't really need this. So here's what I wanna tell you. You know what scripture tells you? So if you know scripture front to back, you know what it tells you to do? If you know all of those things? Older women, what are you supposed to do? Train younger women. Older men, what are you supposed to do? Train younger men. If you know it all, right? If you got it all together in life, you're going to be one of the greatest assets in this group because you're going to come alongside of people and you're going to mentor them. Isn't that a great thing? Right? Like if you have that, because that's the other way that you could get involved. You could get in a group for the sheer reason of saying, you know what? Not that I'm doing it all right. Does anybody that's learned this in life, anybody learn through experience? Like I'm one of those people like you learn through experience. So I can just tell you that I'm here in my life and I thought I knew it all down there, and I've learned a lot through experience, right? So I can be in this group, not to tell you that I got it all right, but I can tell you what not to do. I can't always give you all of the right answers, but I can tell you, don't do that. I've tried that, and I've tried this. So we'd love for you to get involved in that and be a part of it. So after the service, my encouragement is to you is just that if you're not already in community, if you're not already in a group, Grow Night is a great opportunity for you to do all of those things. Get involved, get in relationship, be a part of, um, and again, you know, help people take their next step towards Jesus. Good? All right, so let's talk about this idea of money. Now, I want to talk about it from my own personal perspective. So I'm going to give you some foundation that I want you to, to think through. And so part of it is just through my lens, right? Like these are the things that, that I struggled with, and maybe you've struggled with some of these same things. But when I got married in 1993, right, and I got married and got my first job at Swartz Ford Indicator as a mechanic, right, and I was making, like, this was a cool thing, like, I was making $15,000, right? So we sat down, we put our budget together, and we looked at our budget, and we're like, we can make it. Isn't this cool? You get to live in your own house, and you get to make your own money, and you're living off this budget. But I will never forget this, right? I never forgot this. But we sat around, and we said, but if... We could just make $10,000 more, it would be so much easier. Right? Anybody following? If you could just make just 10,000, 15,000, if I could just put in a few more hours, I'm gonna get to this place like, man, we're making 15. But if I could make 25, <laughs> I mean, We'll have our money saved. We'll be building this big house someday. We'll save up because you gotta have enough money to have kids. Just an FYI, that never works. Those suckers take a lot, right? <laughs> there ain't never enough. You can't save enough to get that done. But you know how you had those things in your mind? And then guess what happened after you made 10000 If I could just make, anybody? If I could just make $10,000 more and if I could just make $10,000. Like this insatiable appetite right, that as we get, we tend to consume and we tend to want more, 
And I'm not even saying that these are terrible people. I'm just saying this is real life, right? Real life is, is that as we go, it tends to cost more. And as we spend more, we tend to need to make more, right? Pretty much a reality. But in that, this is what I learned. And this was a, a life-changing moment for me because I always struggled with this because I am a learn-by-experience type of guy. Like when I first gave my life to Christ, I'd sit down with people and they're like, this is the narrow road and you need to be on the narrow road and this is the expectation that God had for you. And I'm like, dude, I'm never gonna stay on that road, right? Like that, that road, that narrow road, like that's God's expectation and they would scare the crap out of you. Like if you go off the road, you're going to hell. And you know what I mean? And I'm like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna park it over here on the side, by the side of the road because if I try to go down that road, I'm never going to make it because I'm gonna make mistakes. I'm a learn by experience guy. Like somebody could tell me this is the thing that you should do, but at the end of the day, until I do it and be like, oh yeah, I should have listened, right? Like I, I'm that kind of a learner. So I would have struggled being on this. So I had a guy come to me and I was talking to him through this like, I'm never going to be able to make it. Like, I'll never be able to live like this. He says, listen, that's not what Scripture tells you to do. Like, yes, be on the narrow road, but here's, here's what you need to understand. On this road, here's what you need to recognize about yourself. On this road, just like it is in life, you will get distracted, and you will swerve around, and you will, every once in a while, start to go off the road, right? All you need to do is figure out how to put guardrails up. Right? Anybody ever go down the road? You know where the guardrails are? Where if you go off the road, you are out of luck. Right? Like if you go off at this point, the guardrail's here for a reason. If you go off at this point, you're in the ditch. You're upside down. You're in the water. Somebody's getting hurt. Some problem's going to happen. So guardrails keep you on the road. Like that's natural in life. Like you get distracted, you bump into a guardrail, you can fix your car. Right? You bump into a guardrail, you can fix your dent. You bump into a guardrail, you can, you can fix some of the damage. In the ditch, there is not only damage, sometimes it's irreversible, but there is damage that causes not only damage to you, but to other people. So here's what he said. It's the same in the Christian life. In the Christian life, you are going to swerve. You are every once in a while going to make decisions that are gonna move you off the road. You just need to have guardrails. And here's what you need, right? You need to go down that road following Jesus Christ as fast as you can because the church teaches you to go slow and be safe. That's not what scripture says. Scripture says, get on the road, put the pedal to the metal, follow the leading of God and come into heaven sliding in sideways. And I'm like, I'm in, I'm in. I'm all for sliding in sideways, right? Like I'm all for going full bore. And every once in a while, when you're full bore, you lose control and I'm gonna scuff up against it and I'm gonna make mistakes, but I can fix the dents and God's gonna work with me, but I'm moving, right? I'm not gonna sit and I'm not gonna be safe for the fear that something that I'll do something wrong. We just need guardrails. And we know this to be true, right? If you look at your life, think about some of the greatest regrets that you have. So just think about this for a second. Some of the greatest regrets that you ever had. You know this. If you would have had guardrails, if you would have had things, right? Because let me define guardrails in the Christian life for you. Guardrails are this. As you're going down the road and you start to veer off, when you hit the guardrail, it lights something up inside of you 
the Holy Spirit, your conscience that says, get back on the road, get back on the road, get back on the road. And if those guardrails were there and it alighted that I need to change something and you got back on the road because your greatest regret happened when you veered off the road and there was no guardrail. And you look and say, if I would have put a guardrail up in place, like we know this, all of us that are raised kids, here's what's the funny thing about uh, church guardrails, the whole concept. You know, in our lives, or even in scripture, it says that probably your greatest regrets will come from two areas of your life. Sex or sexual immorality, and what do you think the other one is? Money, right? The greatest regrets of your life will come from sexual immorality and money. So we, we the funny thing is about, it says a ton about it in scripture, but you know what's weird? But we don't really talk about it much in the church, right? Because nobody wants to hear the money message. Because you're all like, are they passing a plate after this? Is, it, is the budget down? Like, is there a budget? Is this the money message because they're running out of money? Yeah, no. But here's the concept. Here's what we know. Like, your parent, I'm assuming you've had this conversation with your kids. So when you sit down with your daughter, you sit down with your son before you date, before they date, you know what you tell them? You better have some guardrails. Because you know what's going to happen? I know you're going to say, well, I'm never going to have the issue, and I'm never going to be tempted, and I'm, ne- you know, I'm, a, I'm a godly young woman, I'm a godly young man, and we would never put ourselves in a position to make a mistake. Like, that's not the way that it works. Here's what you've got to pre-plan for. Pre-plan that you are going to be in a position to make a mistake. Pre-plan that the temptation is going to come up. Pre-plan that once you get in this place, you better have a guardrail, right? Nobody tells their kid, well, when you're in the back seat with that guy, try to figure out where your uh, boundaries are. (laughs) True? Ain't no boundaries happening in the back seat. Just telling you, right? You're past, but if there was this, like, I'm not going in the back seat, or just the, the, the concept of this, like, so his parents and you're not home and your kids are up in your room, they're like, oh, they're just up there watching TV with their girlfriend. Sure they are. I mean, sure they are, right? Like that, being upstairs with your girlfriend, nobody being home, there probably should be a guardrail because I doubt they're up there playing tiddlywinks, right? Or chess, right? Like I doubt that those are the things that they're doing. I doubt that they're, they're just playing games. Like the guardrail is you probably shouldn't be in the bedroom alone, right? This all makes sense, right? Guardrails. Well, the same concept should happen with money, right? So the idea that we need to have guardrails in our life when it comes to money so that when you get to the place, which we all will, Scripture tells us this, when, because the number one competitor for your heart is money, that when you get to this place where you're going to want to be veering off, that you're not going to end up in the ditch. You're just going to be like, oh, yeah, I need to get back. Are we good? All right, so four guardrails. We're going to look at those. So four guardrails. Um, and again, uh, the first one that we're going to be looking at is going to be in Matthew 6. But here's what I want you to see before we talk about money. I forgot to say this. Here's a misconception, right? The misconception when you talk about money is, If you think that people who have money, who are rich, who have no debt, and are in good financial shape are where God wants them to be, that is false. You can be out of debt, 
have a lot of money, be in a great financial position, have all that you've ever desired, not owe anybody a dime, and God sees you in the ditch, and this is why. It was never about your money, it was always about your heart, and if you don't figure out what's going on in your heart, whether you owe a lot of people money or independently wealthy, if your heart's not in the right place, you're in the ditch. We good? All right, so we've got to make sure that we look at what he wants us to look at, which would be our heart. All right, so Matthew 6, uh, starting in verse uh, 24. So this is going to be the first guardrail we're going to look at. Uh, no one can serve two masters. This is verse 24. Either you will hate the one or love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. Here's the first guardrail. Before you put any guardrails up in your life, you've got to make a decision. Who's your master? Now, I know for us, this conceptually doesn't seem right because we're not living in a day where, you know, you had masters per se. But here's what scripture is trying to tell you. Every single person in this room, right, has a master. Every single person, right? Here's what you know, right, from the concept of having a master. A master tells you what to do and you do it, right? Like, that's what happens. So when you get up every day and you make a decision, right? So here's where we're at. So you get up every day and you make a decision. Why do you make that decision? Because your master is driving you to make a decision. Does that make sense? Like, you get up every day, you make a decision, you make a decision out of what's driving you. What's driving you has become your master and will be the decisions that you make in your life, right? So you have to figure out from the beginning who is your master, right? Because if you don't, or if you don't understand this, because some of us are out there like, ain't nobody my master, right? Ain't nobody over me. No, listen, you will serve, you cannot serve two masters. This is what he's telling you. There is nobody in this world that's not mastered. Not anybody in this world that's making decisions free to themselves. You're making decisions based upon who you've decided is the master of your life. And here's what he says. For all of you guys that think you can have dual loyalty, it is false. You can't have dual loyalty. You cannot have two people mastering your life. You either hate the one or love the other, despise the one. You know, that this just conceptually doesn't work. So he says, you have to decide that who's going to be your master. And for all of us, when you're in church, this is the first thing that comes up. Isn't it funny that he talks of it like this? We think that it's, we got to decide whether we're following God or we're following Satan, right? Isn't that how you naturally think? Like, I got to decide who I'm going to, who's going to be the Lord of my life, God or Satan. Isn't it funny? I, I love this about Scripture, and I love what Jesus does, because Jesus understands something about Satan that we forget, right? Here's what he understands. Listen to what, he's, what he says next. You cannot, you know, you can't have two masters. You cannot serve both God and what? Money. Here's what he understands about Satan and the schemes of Satan. Satan understands, you know what Satan understands? This is, this is really cool. Satan understands that he has no authority over your life. Isn't that neat? Like Satan gets that he has zero authority over you, right? Like he cannot master you. He can't make you do anything. In fact, we all know this, right? There is no authority, 
right? Satan has no authority over our life. All we have to do is claim in the name of Jesus Christ, and what, has to ha- what will happen? The demons will flee, right? Satan has no place, no authority, no anything in us. So, but here's what Satan knows, right? I might not have authority, but I can get leverage. You know how I get leverage? Making you love stuff. That's how I get leverage, because here's what he knows. Like, you If I can leverage what you fall in love with and it draws you away from Jesus, it worked the same way, right? I don't have to worry about authority. I don't have to worry about being in that place. All I have to do is get you to serve things. And when you serve things, things now become the authority because things are now your master and things are now the things that drive you in everything that you do. So we've got to make a decision. So how do you make a decision when he says you're either going to serve God or you're going to serve money? How do we make those decisions? Now think about this. How do you make decisions on who you're going to serve, right? Think about it this way. So when you go in for a job, that's when you go in for a job and you sit down with somebody and an employee's trying to get to know you. And usually as somebody who's going to come to work for somebody, here's what you usually do. What's in it for me, right? Like, how much vacation, how much this, how much that? Like, what is it that this job can promise me that would make me change something in my life? So we make decisions on who we serve based upon what they promise, right? Is this making any sense? Right, so we make a decision based upon what they promise. So here's the problem. Money promises things that don't come true. Anybody ever felt this way? If I just had enough money, I would just be content. If I just had enough money, we wouldn't have these problems. If I just had enough money, anybody that's just had enough money, guess what you realize? It's a false promise, right? So when we choose to serve money, you know what it comes down to? You trust money more than you trust God. Right? Like when you get to these places where I'm making a decision based upon what gives me a promise that I'm going to believe in, you are believing in the promises of money and things over the promises of God. So when you make a decision, this is what you got to decide. Who do I trust more? Right? So when I'm putting up these guardrails in my life, I've got to decide who do I trust more and how can I put my face? So first guardrail, who's going to be my master? right? You've got to figure that out. You've got to have it in there. And as soon as you start following something else, you're going to hit the guardrail and you'll be like, oops, I got to get back on the road. Okay. Here's the second one. Second guardrail is this. How do you find contentment? So how do you put up guardrails that when you start becoming discontent, it'll wake you up and move you back onto the right track? Because here's the problem. Here's what scripture says. This is really important. Scripture tells us the opposite of contentment There's no middle ground. You know what the opposite of contentment is? Greed. If you are not, and I know you don't want to hear this because this is the funny thing about um, church and the way we read scripture. Um, There are socially accepted sins in the church today. Let's just be honest, right? There are socially accepted things that, that, that we just say, well, you know what? People are greedy and so no big deal. But if somebody is this... Anybody tracking with me? If somebody is this, but you know what the funny thing is? In that same scripture where people will pick out one thing that they're against, in the same part of that scripture is greed. Like, I'm against this. God says that this person will never inherit the kingdom of heaven. Well, guess what? You know what he says about greedy people? 
Greedy people will never inherit the kingdom of heaven. Did you just want to like, take that one out? And you know why people do that? You know why people tend to take things out? When we, when we rage against sin, things that we don't accept, you know why we rage against it? Because you don't have a problem with it. You know why people don't rage against greedy people? Because most people have that problem. So they're not in the church being like, hey, we need to talk to all these greedy suckers showing up every day, right? Like we need to go down this road because this is what's going on. We tend to not want to go there, right? So we've got to decide what is contentment because you'll know me. Like I'm a businessman. I think you should work hard. I think you're rewarded for working hard. But what is enough? Anybody ever have this issue? Like what is enough? Right? How big is my business going to grow? How much should I do? How much do I need to make? How much do I need to have? Like trying to figure out what those things look like. Now, here's what it says in 1 Timothy 6, talking about contentment. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So he's saying a godly person should be content, and if you are, it will bring great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, talks about contentment. Now, let's just be honest. Okay, here's what it says. You should be content if you have enough to eat and enough clothes to wear. (laughs) come on I'm thinking is there another line like what about a house and the car and the golf car and the boat I mean I mean the modern conveniences right like what about those things but he's just flat out saying you know why he puts it like that because again that's your basic needs and I'm just saying If you're with me, it's a struggle to wake up every day and just think, God, I'm just so thankful that there's food in the fridge. Anybody else? Like, I'm just so thankful that there's food in the fridge and I have clothes to put on. I have way too many clothes to put on. And there's way more food in the fridge that we could ever eat that you normally throw out. And I should just be okay with that even if I have to walk to work and my car's a piece of junk. Anybody else struggle? Anybody else, like that contentment's hard to find? Like that issue right there, we really have to search our hearts because we live in a world where that is not practiced, nor is that talked about, nor are we celebrating being content that you have enough to eat and that you have, you know, food food in the refrigerator and clothes in your closet. Right? So we've got to figure out this. So what is the middle ground? What does it look like? How do we live in this? You know, and how do we understand not to be greedy in the midst of the United States of America, which is you have way more than what you need? Fair? Right? So I'm going to use an illustration. Can I use you, Joy? Yeah, you want to come up too? Come on up. Oh, on the whole stage? Yeah, yeah, you got to be here in the front. You used to be in on the seat. You want to be the consumer or the hoarder? I don't know, it's hoard. Huh? Okay. Yeah, you'll hoard. Okay. So Kaylee, come over here to receive. So now I want you to think about this. So we're talking about this idea of we gotta figure out how to be content, which is this road. 
right? So there's this road. This is contentment. If you read scripture, this is what contentment talks about. This is what he asks each one of us to be on. And we should have guardrails that should keep us from going off the road. Now, when we look at it, it's very easy to look at consumer, right? Because here's the consumer. The consumer is, and you might know these or you might be one, right? You have some bills to pay. Right? And then once you're done paying your bills, you have this leftover, and however fast you can spend it, you're spending it because you've got a lot of needs. Maybe not you, but if people out there, right? Like you have this list of things I've been waiting for, I've been waiting for, I've been waiting for, and I have a little extra money this month. I'm going to spend it on the jeans that I need, the clothes that I need, the car that I need, the boat that I need. I'm going to consume everything I have. And then I'm going to run out of money, and I'm going to try to make more just to consume more. And we're all looking at this person being like, boo, right? <laughs> like, nobody likes the consumer. Everybody's like, you probably are going to hell. Like, that's probably... <laughs> the church looks at the consumer and says, you're frivolous, and you spend your money on just you, and it's all about you, and, and, and we're not going to celebrate that. You should never be that way, which scripturally, we shouldn't. Right? We shouldn't be a consumer. But you know what we celebrate? Is the hoarder. Right? <laughs> so here's what the church celebrates. In fact, we would call this being great stewards of God's things when we live in a scarcity mindset that we store up enough because we think we're going to run out. But here's the news flash. Most of you are going to die before you run out and your kids are going to fight over it and hate you. But we're going to be like, keep working at it, save all, because you're the person who looks at the consumer like, that sucker went on vacation, they've been spending money on frivolous things. What's wrong with those people? We save our money. We have a million dollars in your account. We look at what our wife spends. We go down through the receipt like, you spent that kind of money on that? What is going on? And everybody celebrates like, look at him. He's the miser. That's the way we should all be. We, we honestly should have been. You should have been switching <laughs> in life. But you see what I'm saying? Like this side of it, we call this guy financially responsible and this person financially irresponsible. Scripture calls both of those greed. Both of those are greed because scriptural definition of greed is this, that you consume all that you have or that you use everything you have for your consumption, right? Because you know what this road says? None of it's yours. None of it. You shouldn't save it all because remember the whole story of the storehouse? You guys remember that story? The guy that made a lot of money and he stored it all up, you know, and he had a bunch to put away because someday, you know, he had his great crop and he had to put it away. And scripture says, you know what's bad about this guy? Guess what? Tomorrow, his life is gonna be demanded of him. And everything that he had in the storehouse is going to go, people are going to fight over and it's going to rot and it's all going to go away. So he tells you, like, listen, every person in this room, thanks, guys, every single person in this room, if you want to learn contentment, you better learn this. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You are not guaranteed the opportunity because let me help you understand something. You know why you're on this earth? You know why you're still here and you're not gone? Because God needs you and the resources that he gave you to change the world. That's why you're here. When he no longer needs you or you run out, so this is what I'm hoping for. 
because it seems like I'm, I don't have to worry about running out of resources. When I run out of resources, he can just take me home. That's perfect. I get to the end of my usefulness and the end of my resources, then I can just go home. But why would I store it all up thinking that I'm going to get tomorrow and someday I'm going to be able to help people and someday I'm going to be able to live out the calling and someday I'm going to be able to give like he wants me to give and someday I'm going to be able to have and that someday never comes. Like you're going to stand in front of him and he's going to be like, foolish. This is what he tells the guy that stored it all up, foolish. And just, I'll save you some time. So if you guys are retirement investors, don't send me an email. I, I'm not, like I get, like you, I'm not saying you shouldn't be financially wise. Okay, does that make sense? I don't, I'm not saying you shouldn't be financially wise. But here's what I'll guarantee you. Never set your money up that when you are on this trail, whether you have it in a savings account, a 401k, whatever you do, never set it up that if God called you to give it all that you can't. I don't care what your financial planning is or what your estate planning is or live in this contentment life is lived with open hands. Never consume it all. Again, never save it all. Live with open hands. If you have it in savings, you just need to be open to this. If God tells you to give, can you get it? Can you pull it out? Can you use it? Because if he tells you to give it, you should do it. Right? Does that make sense? Guardrail, understanding contentment. Right, here's the next one, next guardrail. Um, you shouldn't reset your priorities. So we all have a set of priorities in our life, like how we do things, like a value system. So here's the value system of the world when it comes to money. Live, like live everything that you want to do. Save, if you have any money to save. And then if you have any after those two, guess what you do? You give, right? That, that's the priorities of the world today. So you live because all of your money's for you. And so you're going to live to the fullest of your ability. And if there's anything left, I'm going to save. And if there's anything left after those two things, I'm going to give to people in need, right? That's the priorities of the world, right? But the priorities of scripture is completely different than that. You know what the priority of scripture is? Give, save, live on what's left now. Parents and kids that are in the room, I'm going to give you a, a, uh, an example or something to think about. So parents, if I could give you any advice at all, here would be my advice. As soon as your children take in a dime of money, teach them to give it away. Because the people that are saying, well, someday when they get a real job, then they'll learn to give. Nope. That's not the way it works. If you make money, and kids, listen to me. If you want to get this right in life and you want to keep yourself from ending up on a bad path, because not understanding this at a small age carries over into when you're an adult and you have more money to mess up your life. Anybody tracking, right? Like you just get more. When you're a kid, put jars in your room, put a bank in your room. I don't care what it is. When you get money, because this is what kids normally do. I got money and I got it in a jar. And you know what they're thinking about? Whatever they can spend it on. Right? I have $300 and I can buy, and I have $400 and I can buy, and I have $500 and I can buy. Because I have the money, and they're trying to burn through it as fast as they can, and then trying to fill the jar up again. And we're just like, that's funny, that junior just wants stuff all the time. <laughs> Old junior's going to be in trouble someday if he doesn't understand that money ain't his to begin with. Not your money. 
You don't get to make those choices before you make the first choice or the first decision, and that is the priority in your life is to always do a reset. It's not mine, it's not mine, it's not mine. God, here's yours. You got to. Parents, teach our kids these things. We should do the same thing. It's not what we have left, and we shouldn't live with a scarcity mindset. If money is rough and money is tight, it's just another test. Who do we trust? True? Like, it's just another test to say, where are you at? So you got to set your priorities. Because listen to me, if you don't have a guardrail, and life gets difficult, and you start to run out of money, and it's not enough, guess what you're going to do? You're going to stop giving, right? And you're going to set yourself, set yourself up. I've just watched people do this. They set themselves up in a financial position that they could no longer be used by God because they're too busy out there trying to make more money. Anybody? Right? Like you got so much because you've consumed so much. And now when God says, I need this of you, you're like, I can't do it. I'm always going. I'm always working. There's always this going on. I have no opportunity to be able to do those things. So it's reset your priorities and understand what the priorities look like. Here's the last one reset your focus. So every day we got to wake up and we got to refocus ourselves. Right? Because you, you, obviously you got to think about your priorities. But our brain naturally gets off the focus of what God wants us to do. So you have to get back on focus. Here's what it says, Matthew 6, uh, 31. He says, so don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? So he starts with this. And again, please hear me out when I say this. Here's what I want you to think about. In the past week or in the past month, what have you worried about? So just think about it. What have you worried about? And here's what I want you to understand. Whatever you're worrying about is what you're not trusting God in. Does that make sense? So whatever your worry, whatever you're worried about, God saying, don't worry, right? Now, in this concept, he's using money, but throughout all of Scripture, he says, don't worry. You know why he tells you to not worry? Because he's the God of the universe that knows you. He is the God of the universe that spoke you into existence. He is the God of the universe. Because just think about this for a second. We, we worry a lot. When you raise kids, you worry for your kids. Any parents worry for their kids? Right? You worry for your kids. Yeah. So here's, here's the question. Does God love your children more than you? Absolutely. So what are you worried about? Do what only you can do. Get on your knees, pray, do the things that you're supposed to do. Why are we worried when God said, I know your son, I know your daughter, I know your husband, I know your friend, I know these people, you have to trust me. So he's saying in this concept, you know what you're going to struggle with? This seems weird that we're going to think about this, but you're going to struggle with this mindset all of your life, not having enough. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear because you're, not, you're going to have a natural tendency to be focused on running out. You're going to be always focused on not having enough. Then he goes on and he says, For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He brings it back up and he says, Listen, I don't know why you're worried. I know what you need. Do you think I'm not going to give you what you need? I want you to think about this. Do we trust that God knows you and is going to give you everything you need. Because I know we say it, but you know how hard that is to trust in? Anybody else here struggle with that? Like, I'll be this person, just flat out say, God, did you really know? Did you see the bill? Or did you see what happened? Or did you see, did you see? And I mean, 
that's just my mindset because I think that's where I struggle the most of like, God, I know you say that you see, but things would be different if you could really see, right? Like if you could really know and you could really understand, but he says, I know you. My hand's on you. Nothing's happening that isn't getting filtered through me, right? This is happening and, and I know it and I know you. And then he ends it with this, like how are you gonna be able to keep this guardrail up of staying focused? Here's how. For seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Here's the guardrail. You ready? Here's the road. You want to stay focused? Here's how you do. You know when it says that, you know, wants you to, to, to seek his kingdom first, what does that mean? Do you remember the prayer in scripture? It's like, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's what he's saying. Thy kingdom is not something that you are going to someday, but something that he wants to establish here today. We get that? Right, like his kingdom on this earth established in the way that he wants it established. You know how he wants it to establish and you know what you should be seeking? That's what he says. It's a seek others first kingdom. That's how you're gonna set the guardrails. You're gonna wake up every day and you're gonna understand this. Today is not, for you. Today's not for you. Today is for other people. Now, <laughs> I don't know if anybody else is like me, but I'm a planner and I have my day set up. And I'm like, this is how I want my day to go. And you know when you live in another's first mentality, does anybody agree that your day never goes that way? Right? And I'm always like... Gosh, can one day just go the way it's supposed to, right? Can one day just go without an interruption? Can one day not be something? But no, it can't be. When you live in another first mentality, you have a plan, but in that plan, you plan for interruptions. Because in another first day, here's what we believe. You know what we believe about today? Let's give you an example. You know what we believe about today? We believe that you are here, not on accident, by, but for and with a divine appointment for somebody else. We think you're here for somebody else. That's why you're here today. That's why you showed up today. Not for you. You're not here just for you. Like you're gonna get filled up and God's gonna do some things. But you know what we learn? Everybody who's went on a mission trip learns this. When you serve other people, what does it do to you? Anybody? Changes you, right? Like when you go out and you serve other people, when you go out and do something changes inside of your heart. God knows in this economy, living in this way, when we live others first, we will get filled with what we need, yet we always come with this mentality. What's in it for me? Fill me, fill me. I'm not gonna go because it doesn't fill me, and it's not for me, and it's not for me. And he's like, listen, come for other people, and you're gonna get filled. True? Like come to serve other people and you're gonna be filled and overflowing and you're gonna be able to give. But when you live with a me first mentality, no matter how big the fire hose is, you will never be full because you're selfish, right? So he says, you need to be able to have that guardrail and you need to seek his kingdom first. Now, the worship team's gonna come back up. I wanna end with this. So Mark 10, 42 through 45, here's the concept. Here's what he knows about people. The disciples were walking with Jesus, and as he's walking for Jesus, you can read this in the beginning of, of uh, this chapter, but in this, they were sitting there, and Jesus was talking about he was going to go to heaven someday, and he's going to sit on a throne. So when he did that, the disciples' natural response was, well, <laughs> so you're going to be there, but where am I going to be? Like, which throne am I sitting on? On the right, on the left, down the row a little bit, because 
naturally, right? This is what happens naturally. Naturally, Christian people who walk in Christianity and become religious elevate their status above other people. No? Right, like, I'm better than because this is what was happening with the disciples. This is a real life thing. They're like, we're better than the rest of these people, so we deserve the thrones. So Jesus is like, okay, does that make sense? Are we not making sense? Because I want to make sure we're getting this. The disciples were like, because we're followers of Jesus, we deserve something that nobody else deserves. Is that a better way to put it? So what Jesus says is, you know, and he does this a lot in his ministry, time out, (laughs) time out. We got to use this as a teaching moment. Everybody come over. We're going to sit under the tree, pull up a seat. I got something to tell you because you've missed the point again, right? For the disciples, you've missed the point again. And he's going to remind them, if you want to succeed, if you want to have the right guardrails, if you want to be able to go down this road, if you want to be able to fulfill the things that God has called you to do, here's what he says to them. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. And he said, you know how it really works in the real world? In the real world, people feel like they're on elevated positions and they lord it over other people and they treat other people as subjects and servants. But here's what he says, but not you, but not you. Saying that to all of us, but not you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life for a ransom for many. And I think that's just a great way to end it. Because this is what he tells us. You want to take all of this and you want to boil it down and you want to be able to get it right. And this could fit in of all things and money's just a part of it. If you want to stay on this road and have the right guardrails in life, remember why you're here. Wake up every day and remember why you got breath today. Scripture tells us the reason that you got breath today is because you are here to serve other people. Wake up every day. Look at what God's given you. Because I mean, I'm... Aren't we, isn't it neat to look at the things that God's provided for us and like excited that our house is nice, excited that we have the things that we have. Like I'm not saying you shouldn't be excited, but you're gonna look at it and you're gonna wake up every day and you're gonna have these guardrails and you say, I'm so thankful for this house. I'm so thankful for this car. I'm so thankful for the savings. I'm so thankful for these things. You know why? Because in another's thirst, first mentality, God used it for other people. Bring people to my home. Use my vehicles. If you want my money, thanks for giving it to me. I'll give it back away. If there is somebody in need, thank you so much that you gave me the opportunity to be able to give it away because those who want to be first will always be last. But for those who want to be servants of God, for those who want to stay on the road, everything that you have is available to him. Isn't that cool? Like you can live and you can have and nobody should be ashamed with what they have or any of those things. You just need to be walking down this road like this. God, you want it, you can have it. God, you need it. I'm glad you gave it to me so that I could give it back away because here's what you need to know. It says inside of scripture, you know how people who don't know Jesus will know Jesus? Through his disciples and how through his disciples? Through their love. 
And we love people well because you make yourself available. You make your resources available. You live your life as it's not your own. And people are going to be able to take notice and understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Will you stand so I can pray for you? Heavenly Father, so thankful we could gather, so thankful that you can remind us and give us perspective that sometimes we forget. Lord, I pray that we will remember that we need to choose who our master is going to be. Lord, I pray that we will put up guardrails, not that we will slow down or be afraid. Lord, just put up the guardrails and let's keep pushing. Let's do this together. And Lord, in in these guardrails, when, when we start running in the wrong direction, Lord, enlighten our Spirit, help us understand how to get back on the right place, Lord, to continue to seek you. Lord, I pray that today we evaluate our hearts. Where is our heart? Because you have told us where our heart is, so is our treasure. Where our treasure is, so is our heart. Lord, we need to understand they're linked together. Lord, we treasure you. We treasure being useful for you. Lord, may our heart be in those places. May we be useful for you, and may you use us to change the world. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.